Good morning, church. Hey, let's thank these guys. What a wonderful time of worship. Thank you, Dakota. Am I on here? It's hard to tell from... No? Yeah? All right, very good. Hey, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. These are exciting days to be part of First Baptist Church, amen? If you're here this morning, you're a guest, I want you to feel welcome. We're excited about you being here. We hope you'll pray about making this your church home. There's some good things going on around here. We're studying God's Word. We've got a pastor that loves the Lord. He's on vacation this week with his family, well-deserved, and uh, you're stuck with me this morning. And uh, we've been hearing some good preaching, biblical preaching. We're so grateful for that. And then we're, uh, we're a church busy about doing the Lord's work. There's a lot of things going on right now, and I hope you plug in and are part of that. We just came out of an hour of Sunday school where we studied God's words. We got great teachers, great classes. If you're not part of one of those, I want you to encourage you, get up just a little bit earlier, come to Sunday school, plug in. We need that daily feeding, that opening of God's word and studying of God's word. It'll be an investment that you will never be disappointed in. Well, have you found your place? We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Amen? All right, well, let's start so we can finish, right? Hey, I'm going to read this. I'm reading out of the ESV, so we're going to be in verse 1 and following. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for a favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. May God bless the reading of his word. Today we're going to be talking about how generosity is birthed in the grace of God. I could talk about giving many different ways as a discipline, a spiritual discipline. It reminds us of our daily need for God and His sustenance in our lives. I could preach about how being part of what God is actively doing helps us be included in kingdom work. But today, I want to focus on one of the, what I think is one of the richer parts about our giving and being generous people. And that has to be tied back to the grace of God. The grace of God. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. There's a part in American history, many times it's kind of unforgotten or not even known about. It has to do with uh, right during the end of the Civil War. We're talking about 1854 to about 1920, 27, 29, right in there. A span of about 75 years. This is the end of the war. The country is devastated. Poverty is everywhere. Cities are burned. 
There's nothing left. People have died. Families have been destroyed. Parents have died. And now there are orphans everywhere. In fact, back east, in those 75 years, 200,000 orphan children were put on trains and they were trained across the United States to be adopted. They would stop at the train stations along the way, line the children up. People would just show up. I'll take that one. And they would adopt these children. That happened over 75 years of our time in our history. And over 200,000 children were adopted. Many of those lost their parents. Some were abandoned because they just couldn't feed them. But those children were taken all over the United States during that period of time. Something that you don't hear a lot about. Uh, John Wheat and his little sister were two of those first kids on some of those trains. When John Wheat and his little sister got out to Texas, they were taken off the train and lined up to see if somebody would adopt them. Now, they didn't know this, but there was a family there. There was a farmer and his wife, and they had had a daughter, and she had died during the war. And they were grieved. They didn't know what to do with that grief. They didn't understand that grief. They didn't understand how God could allow that to happen to them. There was a little Baptist church that started ministering to this farmer and his wife during this severe tragedy of loss. Through that, they come to faith in Jesus Christ. They experience the love and the hope of a loving family in this body. And their hearts are changed by the grace of God. And this farmer and his wife decided to take their farm and everything they had, even in this time of poverty, and they started what is called the Buckner Baptist Children's Homes. You can go there today. And John Wheat and his little sister were the first two children to be raised in the Buckner Baptist Children's Home down in Texas. Countless children have lived through there, grew up there. I've known missionaries, I've known people around the world who were tied back to the Buckner Baptist children. How did that happen? How did a time of loss, how did a time of poverty, did this family become so generous? It was because they experienced the grace of God in their life. Now let me just ask you, has the grace of God changed your life? Does it affect how you use your time? Does it affect how you use your talent? Does it affect how you use your treasures? If I were to look at your calendar, is it reflective of that? If I was to open your credit card statements, would I see the grace of God flowing through that? If I were to use how you use your abilities and talents and giftedness, would it reflect what God has done in your life? The grace of God can produce generosity in us, and it flows through everything we do. One of the things I want you to learn this morning is that God changes lives and a changed life can change the world. God changes lives and a changed life can change a world. Now what was going on here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8? Paul is reminding Titus 
to complete an offering that was started earlier. It's found in chapter 16 of the first book of Corinthians that we have. We call it the first Corinthians. And it's at the end, and basically it's just a few pages back, he tells them, now concerning a collection for the saints, I direct that the churches of Galatia, at so also you do, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no need for a collection when I come. Paul is saying, he's reminding them, you guys were taking up an offering there, and for some reason that got interrupted. When I read that passage, I realize there's some things missing in that. He says, you need to give as, as you may prosper. And it's not just talking about how big a bank account you have. It's talking about how you have prospered from knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I notice in that passage some things that aren't there. There is no dollar amount given there. It doesn't say everyone needs to give $20. There's no percentage given. It says, makes no mention of 10%. Now, you ask me, Chaplain Perry, I'm Chaplain Perry, and for most people it slips out. Perry, when, uh, what about the tithe? What about the tithes and offerings? I would tell you 10% is a great place to start. If you're not giving and supporting God's work, 10% is a good place to start. It's a good biblical place. But in this passage, there is no mention of that. In fact, it says the measure that you should give, whatever you give, should reflect the gratitude you have for the grace of God in your life, whatever that amount is. I noticed, too, in that passage that rich, poor, free, slave, all were encouraged to give. And they were to give systematically. They were to give as the first fruits, the beginning of the week. And they were to give consistently, weekly it says. It's something that God uses. This offering for some reason had been interrupted. And now Paul, here in chapter 8 of, chapter of 2 Corinthians, is reminding them to complete that offering, and he calls it, look, notice what he calls it there in verse 6. It is an act of grace. This offering is an act of grace. Why were the Christians poor? Why was this offering needed? You remember Pentecost. The, the Jewish nation had come for the Passover. You have Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls. Thousands are saved. And now they are new in their faith. And the Bible says they're growing in their faith. They're listening to the teaching of the apostles. But one of the things that was happening is, now that they're not Jewish, all of the unbelieving Jewish relatives, friends, neighbors, have boycotted and ostracized these people. And they have lost income. They have lost jobs. Because of their new faith in Jesus Christ. You also have another group there. And these are the people that traveled from other cities. And they came to, to and they experienced Pentecost. They experienced salvation. And instead of returning home where they had a house, where they had a job, they stayed. 
They stayed because they wanted to be discipled in this new faith, and they wanted to learn from the apostles. Now, can you imagine that? Let's just say First Baptist Church doesn't exist, and there's not a church in Enid. In fact, there's not a church in Oklahoma. And we have to go to another place in the United States so that we can hear and grow in our faith. That's what's happened. These people have walked away from everything in order to be discipled and learn about Jesus Christ. And they are, they are seeking that. They're wanting that. And because of that, they're poor. And Paul is asking that this Gentile church, this Gentile people, take up an offering for Jewish believers who are in severe poverty. One of the things I could just draw from that is there is no place for racism. There is no place for social or economic prejudice in God's kingdom. When we stand before the cross, it is equal ground. When we come to Christ, He does not care the color of our skin or how much money we have in our bank. We all stand before God on equal ground. And there is no place for that in God's house. But here we see that he's calling them out to help because changed lives can change a world. I've noticed, too, that it doesn't take money to be generous. It takes generosity to be generous. I've known people in my lifetime who have never experienced the grace of God and the saving work of Jesus Christ, and yet they're very generous. But what I would say about that, I don't think you can experience the grace of God without it producing generosity in you. So how does that happen? We need to realize that God's grace, God's generosity of God's grace is seen in the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where it's foundational. In this passage that we're at, it says in verse 1, it calls it the grace of God. What is he talking about? Is he talking about God's blessed you financially? No. He's talking about salvation in Jesus Christ. He's talking about their faith in Christ. And it's in that grace. He says it is a grace of God. If you were to go over to chapter 9, the very last verse in that chapter, in verse 15, it says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You can't even put words to what God's generosity is when he gave his only son to die for you on a cross so that you could be saved. You cannot even begin to phantom it, begin to measure it. In fact, in Romans 8, 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, if God can take care of your salvation, if God can take care of your soul, he can take care of your job. He can take care of your family. He can take care of your church. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. 
You can be a generous people. You can be a giving people. You can be a people who gives everything for God because you trust Him, because He is trustworthy. I've seen many examples of that in my lifetime. I was in a meeting one time in South America as a missionary, and around that table I had, I had uh, nationals from many different countries, leaders from different countries of the Baptist work. And the topic was what we call mobilization. Mobilization in the mission, world of missions is net mobilizing people to go cross-culturally as missionaries, to go to a culture other than their own. Now, you do that all the time. You send out missionaries all the time, but you probably didn't even think about the fact that nationals, other churches, the, church, the churches of Venezuela, the churches of Argentina, the churches of Brazil, send missionaries cross-cultural around the world. We were starting that effort. Today, over 3,000 missionaries serve around the world from South America. But those first meetings were a little rough. I sat around the table. One of the groups at the table was the Cubans. Now, I don't know what you know about Cuba, but in Cuba, there is a vibrant church. And they were there at the table, and they said, we are fired up. We want to send missionaries to other cultures. And some of the other guys in the room said, hey, guys, you don't realize it's expensive. It costs a lot of money to send missionaries to other parts of the world. The Cubans at that time, their, their income was about $25 a month. That's what they lived on. And these believers, they said, no, you don't understand. We, we get $25 a month to live on, and we can live on 50% of that. We want to give 50% of all of our income to send missionaries. We all just fell to our knees, started praying because we were broken, humbled, humbled by the generosity of these Cuban believers. Brenda and I had the privilege of serving as your missionaries for 25 years. And for 25 years, every month, we got a postcard from a lady in Tyler, Texas. She said, I am praying for you, and this is my prayer for you this week. She was generous in those prayers and for 25 years supported our work through intercessory prayer. The church here in Macedonia is another example of generosity. You see that here. It's in verses 2 through 4. And I want you to just notice they kind of had four characteristics about them. It says that really what it was saying is life was consuming the Macedonians, but they had, and it says, abundance of joy. These were happy people. Listen, life was consuming them, but they were happy people, and they were, their giving was an act of worship. It was, had nothing to do with the economics of the Christian kingdom. It was an act of worship to say, God, thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing in my life. This church, we see how also, they, had, they lived in deep, dark poverty. It says they, they, were, they were in poverty, and yet... They, it says they overflowed in generosity. Anybody that's been overseas at any length of time and has been with a national in their home knows this happens. 
They will serve you their last meal. And you'll eat before they do because of their love for Christ. These people had deep, dark poverty, but they overflowed in generosity. It says here that they gave beyond their ability and they gave of their own accord. No one was forcing them to give. They didn't have to have a dinner to raise money. People literally just were giving above their abilities and God was blessing them for it. And then notice what it says. It says they begged. They begged us to to be able to give, with, and they had this sense of urgency about it. The Greek here is beautiful. The language here is, listen to our begging to give. Hear me beg, hear me beg, let me give. Boy, when's the last time that happened, right? Literally begging to give and be part of God's kingdom. These people were giving far beyond their ability. I want you to know this morning you can touch a world through generosity and giving and supporting ministry and missions. Turn over to Psalms 67. Psalm 67. Let me read this beautiful Psalms to us. It's a, it's a Psalms that reminds us, 67, it reminds us of the importance of sharing the love of God to a world around us. Listen to this. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a psalm. I think the early church probably sang this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Selah. Selah means... Pause and think about it. Pause and think about it. God's face shining on us. That your way may be known in all the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O Lord, and let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Missions and ministry. Why? Why is it so important? It's important because people are in darkness and need light. People in the world are in darkness and need light. That's what it says here. The lost are in darkness and they need the light of God to shine upon them, just like he shined upon us. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 says, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They are in darkness and need to be brought into the light. They are lost and on their way and headed for eternal darkness, the Bible says. Does that burden you? Does that make you uncomfortable? 
We need to get the message out because they need the light. This psalm reminds us that they, we've got to get the message out because they need joy, it says. Listen, sin gives pleasure. Sin will give you some pleasure, but it's not very lasting, is it? It only lasts for a little while. But the Bible is full of references of how Christ can give us pleasure forevermore. Abundant life. Listen, how can we keep something so precious that gives so much joy to ourselves? They need the joy of the Lord. We need to get the message out because they need righteousness. Right standing before God. Often I hear people ask me the question, how can a loving God allow innocent people to go to hell? And there is some truth in that statement. God is a loving God. And there is a hell. But I have yet to meet an innocent person once they have come to an age of accountability. I think a better way to ask that question, and a more biblical way, is how can a holy and a just and a righteous God who can judge the world, who can guide the world, allow me and you as a sinful person to enter heaven? How can that happen? How can... How can I as a sinner get to heaven? Not how does innocent people go to hell? And the Bible's answer to that is, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible is answering the question, how can I as a sinful person enter into the holy presence of a just and righteous God? And the answer is God loved you and loved me so much he sent his only son to die on a cross on my stead and your stead. If that isn't love, I don't understand love. Could I sit and watch my son pray in a garden, Father, if this not be your will, let it pass. Father, if there's any other way, sweat blood. And then to watch my son die on a cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? If that is not love, I don't understand love. Listen, God loves us. He gave His only Son. And my righteousness, my right standing before God will never be satisfied apart from Jesus Christ. People in the world need the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon them. And we have to get this message out. Why? Because they need life. Verses 5 through 7 in this beautiful, beautiful psalm. God is deserving of man's praise and worship. He deserves your praise and worship. And here it talks about, let all the nations praise you. Let the earth praise you. Let all peoples praise you, it says. God is worthy of that. And the fields of the world need life. 
And they need that because they are not praising God. And God is deserving of man's praise and glory and worship. Why do we get the message out? So that people around the world, and there will be a day, the Bible says, when every tongue and tribe and city and, and every town, every, there will be a representative there giving testimony of the grace of God's gift through Jesus Christ. And generosity will flow. Let me ask you a question. It's a hard question to ask. I had to ask it of myself. If every believer does what you do in regard to ministry and missions, would the people of the earth praise the Lord? If you were the standard, your life is the standard, would all the people of the earth praise the Lord? That's a negative way to ask that question. There's a positive way to ask that question. It would be, does your generosity with your time, your talent, and your treasure reflect the grace that God has given you? In 1960, a little girl was born in Texas. Her mother gave her up for adoption, and she was left at the Buckner Baptist Children's Home. Same one. There was a couple, a missionary couple, serving as international missionaries, IMB missionaries, your missionaries, who could not have children. Biologically, it was impossible for them. After some years on the mission field, they came back and they adopted that little girl out of the Buckner Baptist Children's Home. They took her back to the mission field and raised her as, her, as their very own. She was raised with love. She was raised with a purpose. She was raised believing God had a plan for her life because he had given her these amazing parents. She came back, went to college, enrolled in seminary, was going to seminary at Southwestern. And there she was studying because one day she had felt God call her to foreign missions and she wanted to be prepared when that door opened to go back as a missionary. Eventually she would marry and she would return to the mission field. And she served for 25 years on the mission field. Now, I've had the blessing of being married to that lady for 37 years. She's not here today. Brenda is one of the most generous and gracious people I know. And it's because of the grace of God in her life. Today, she's with your kids, our church members, and they're in Panama. And they're doing it sacrificially. They're doing it at any cost of time, treasure, talent. And they're serving God because people need to know about Jesus Christ. 
I don't know what the horizon of your eyesight is. Maybe you can't see past your front door. I don't know. Maybe you can see across the street to your neighbor. Maybe if you raise your horizon just a little farther, you could see Enid and all the need here. Or perhaps you can even think even bigger than that about Oklahoma and here in the United States and all the need. And maybe if you stand on your tiptoes, you can see over the horizon and think about those that need to hear the gospel around the world. All I know is this. The horizons of your world will begin to expand when you live with generosity birthed in the grace of God. Shall we pray? Father, we just come into your presence right now. Will you pray your blessings on us? We pray that you would use this time of reflection, of commitment, and we give it to you, Lord. If you're here this morning, and maybe you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and all of that resonated with you, you know you need light in your life. It's dark. You, need, you, you know you need righteousness to stand before God. You need, the joy has gone out of your life. I want to tell you that in a moment we're going to sing a hymn of invitation and you can come and give your heart to Jesus Christ and you will not be disappointed. The Bible says that if we will confess him before men, he will confess us before the Father. But if we deny him before men, he'll deny us. Will you be counted for Christ? Will you give your heart to Jesus Christ this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you've been living and you've received salvation, but you have not been a generous person. It's been, what can you get out of everything? And today you just need to commit. Lord, I want to be a fountain of generosity. I want to be a blessing. I want to be part of what you're doing. Maybe God is calling you to special service here today. There's young people here. And maybe God is calling you to be the next generation of missionaries. You need to come and let people know about that so they can help you. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a home, a Christian family. This is an opportunity for you to come and be part of a growing church that loves the Lord. We're not going to tarry after we sing, but you come as God leads you. Father, we just thank you for this time. We open our hearts. We open our, our lives to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would let us know what we need to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with us. Dakota's going to lead us. We're going to sing a few stanzas of this beautiful hymn, You Come If God Is Speaking to You.